Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A U.S. commander tells the Senate Armed Services Committee he needs more resources to monitor ISIS-K in Afghanistan. He says the terrorist group is six months away from foreign attack capability. The House Oversight Committee reveals suspicious financial activities by the Biden family. This includes over $1 million in payments from an associate with China ties. The Biden administration threatens to ban TikTok if its Chinese owners don't sell their shares. This amid reports that Chinese companies are shipping rifles to Russia. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen testifies before the Senate. She says Americans can feel confident in the banking system, but some lawmakers aren't buying it. The Pentagon releases video footage of the incident between a U.S. drone and a Russian fighter jet. The incident prompted a rare direct call between defense leaders of the two countries. And a violent protest at a University of California this week. We hear from a speaker at the event that was targeted who says he's open to dialogue with any of the protesters. A U.S. commander testified today that the ISIS group operating in Afghanistan is capable of conducting an external operation against the U.S. within six months. NTD's Arlene Richards brings more details. General Michael Eric Carrilla, commander of U.S. Central Command on Thursday, said that since our troops left Afghanistan, keeping an eye on al-Qaeda and ISIS has become more challenging. In Afghanistan, the Taliban's hold on security is maintained through ideology, continued humanitarian aid, and the persistent abuse of human rights to dissuade unrest. Extremist groups see opportunity, and ISIS Khorasan grows emboldened, seeking to expand its ranks and inspire, enable, and direct attacks in the region and beyond. In a hearing before the Senate Armed Services Committee, Carrilla warned that the ISIS Khorasan is building a capability to ultimately strike the American homeland. In April 2021, President Biden said the terrorist threat that the U.S. went to fight in Afghanistan had evolved and dispersed around the globe. He said keeping thousands of U.S. troops there made little sense to him. We cannot continue the cycle of extending or expanding our military presence in Afghanistan, hoping to create ideal conditions for the withdrawal and expecting a different result. It's time to end America's longest war. It's time for American troops to come home. Biden said in August 2021 that the U.S. had the capability to monitor direct threats to the United States and act quickly. But Carrilla said his command is in need of consistent intelligence resources to effectively sustain that capability. When asked how long it would take for ISIS-K to threaten America's homeland, he said this. Specifically ISIS Khorasan, Senator, um, it is my commander's estimate that they can do an external operation against U.S. or Western interests um, abroad in under six months with little to no warning. But he added that it is much harder for them to be able to do that against the homeland. Carrilla also discussed China's involvement in the recent Saudi Arabia-Iran agreement. He said in his statement that China seeks to undermine American economic, commercial and security interest in this part of the world to become the region's leading power. Arlene Richards, NTD News. 
The Biden family received over $1 million from a business partner linked to China, according to the House Oversight Committee. Chair James Comer is highlighting what they found in the recent probe. The money came from accounts linked to a business associate of Hunter Biden. This is according to financial records that the committee subpoenaed from Bank of America. The associate was part of a joint venture called Sinohawk Holdings, which was meant to be a partner of a Chinese energy firm. He paid the Bidens over a span of three months in 2017, shortly after receiving about $3 million from a separate Chinese company. The filings show that at least three Biden family members received payments. They include Hunter Biden, the president's brother Jim Biden, and Hallie Biden, who's the widow of the president's late son Beau. There was also an unknown bank account simply labeled Biden. Comer said in a statement, it is unclear what services were provided to obtain this money. TikTok could soon be banned here in the U.S. That's what the Biden administration is warning if the platform's Chinese owners refuse to give up their share. NTD's Iris Tao has the latest from the White House. A drastic shift in the White House's stance towards TikTok. A spokesperson for the popular app tells Reuters that the Biden administration is now threatening that the platform could face a nationwide ban if its Chinese parent company does not give up its shares. The White House on Thursday would not confirm such reports, but reiterated President Biden's concerns over the app. We have expressed concerns over China's uh, potential use of software platforms that could endanger or threaten uh, America's safety and their national security. So that is the president's concern. That is why uh, we have uh, called on Congress to take action. The Biden administration has been negotiating with the app for two years now, trying to reach a solution over data security. But this marks the first time we've heard of a threat of an outright ban. And it comes as the White House is now openly endorsing a bipartisan legislation that could be used to ban the app. We're not going to get ahead of the review, but certainly uh, we, uh, again, support this uh, bipartisan legislation that we're coming. And TikTok, meanwhile, pushes back by saying that a forced sale will not solve the problem. And all eyes will be on Capitol Hill next week as TikTok's CEO is scheduled to testify and face grilling by lawmakers from both sides of the aisle. On another front, customs data obtained by Politico shows Chinese companies are selling rifles and body armor to Russia. In response, White House National Security spokesperson John Kirby tells the Epoch Times that China is still considering sending lethal aid to Russia. We don't think that China has taken lethal assistance off the table, but Mm -hmm. we haven't seen, uh, you know, uh, firm confirmation that, that they're moving in that direction. The U.S. and Western allies have repeatedly warned Beijing against doing that. Reporting from the White House, Aris Tao, NTD News. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen testified before the Senate a week after the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history. The hearing was meant to be about President Biden's budget proposal, but the bank collapse took center stage. NTD's Jason Perry has more the full faith and credit of the United States. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen testified on Thursday before the Senate Finance Committee. The purpose was for her to answer questions about President Biden's budget proposal. But the hearing was overshadowed by the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Yellen explained how the government responded. First, we worked with the Federal Reserve and FDIC to protect all depositors of the two failed banks. On Monday morning, customers were able to access all of the money in their deposit accounts so they could make payroll and pay the bills. 
And she added this. I can reassure the members of the committee that our banking system is sound and that Americans can feel confident that their deposits will be there when they need them. Silicon Valley Bank collapsed after depositors rushed to withdraw their money all around the same time, which is also known as a bank run. This reportedly happened after information was shared online about the bank's financial health during a time of slow growth in the tech sector, its main customer base. And after a similar run on New York-based Signature Bank, state regulators ordered it to shut down too. The government then provided money to make sure both of the bank's customers could access their money. If you're in a big bank. Senator James Lankford said the government's actions could cause more people to move to larger banks. That's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That is happening right now. That is happening because depositors are concerned about the bank failures that have happened and whether or not other banks could also um, no, it, it, it's happening and because it's, you're fully insured no matter what the amount is. If you're in a big bank, you're not fully insured if you're in a community bank. Well, you're not fully insured. The next bank that was reportedly expected to fall was First Republic after its shares recently dropped by about 70 percent. But several large banks stepped in on Thursday and provided First Republic with $30 billion in deposits, according to a statement from those banks. Jason Perry. NTD News. Poland pledged today that it would send four MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine. The move is significant, marking a break from the NATO alliance. Poland's president said the planes would be handed over in the coming days after they're serviced. The four fighter jets come from a dozen others that the country inherited from the former German Democratic Republic. Some say Poland's action to supply Ukraine with heavy weapons could put pressure on other member states. The U.S. insisted today that Poland's move would not force Washington's hand. U.S. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told reporters that Poland's decision doesn't change our calculus with regards to F-16s, referring to the U.S.-built fighter jet. And the Pentagon today released a video showing a Russian jet coming very close to a U.S. military drone, which then crashed into the Black Sea. It's an incident Washington called unsafe and reckless. Declassified video released by the Pentagon shows Tuesday's mid-air incident between a U.S. spy drone and a Russian fighter jet in international airspace over the Black Sea. A Russian aircraft can be seen approaching the American Reaper drone, which operators say they then had to crash into the waters of the Black Sea. The Pentagon said the video was edited by the U.S. military for length, but shows events in sequential order. U.S. officials had earlier described how two Russian jets first harried and dumped fuel on the unmanned vehicle before the eventual collision, which is not shown on the released video. The incident prompted a rare direct call between military leaders in Washington and Moscow. I just got off the phone with my Russian counterpart, Minister Shoigu. <clears throat> Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said he'd spoken with Russia's defense minister. And the United States will continue to fly and to operate wherever international law allows. And it is incumbent upon Russia to operate his military aircraft in a safe and professional manner. U.S. General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said it was not yet clear whether the collision was intentional or accidental. 
Russia's defense ministry claimed the American drone was heading toward Russian-held territory, said there was no collision, asserting the drone crashed all on its own. Professor Michael Clark is the former director general of the Royal United Services Institute in London. The United States have been flying drones in open airspace across the Black Sea, as they're perfectly legally entitled to do. The Russians have been trying to buzz them and, and disrupt them for months. Um, it was only a matter of time. Despite Russian denials, Clark told Reuters he believes the collision was real, if unintended. This almost certainly, I'm 99% certain, was an accident, pilot error. I, I mean, the, you know, the, the SU-27 pilot who can deliberately and safely um, fly his plane into the propeller of a, of a Reaper drone hasn't yet been born. So I'm sure it's an accident, and that pilot's very lucky. Russia said it would try to recover the drone wreckage from the sea. General Milley said the waters where the drone splashed down were four to 5,000 feet deep, making any recovery attempt difficult. He added that measures were taken before the crash to ensure no sensitive information could be gleaned from the wreckage. This week marks three years since the beginning of pandemic lockdowns in the U.S. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis gave a speech today on what he called failed policies from the pandemic. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said that three years after health authorities announced 15 days to slow the spread, many in power are still clinging to some of their failed policies. And Biden's administration is arguing in court now to reimpose the mask mandate on air travel, for, for commercial air travel. I mean, you can't make this up. Three years later, they want that mandate uh, to, be, to be reinstated. And then even just this week, you have the FDA approving bivalent booster shots for babies. In his speech on Thursday, DeSantis highlighted the negative consequences of pandemic lockdowns on Americans. These include failing businesses, poor academic performance, and depression. He also noted that scientists and state governments that dissented from the Biden administration's approach faced a significant pushback. That was really showing that this is more about them advancing an agenda and about exerting control. And that's something that's very, very dangerous. And I don't even think we've, we've fully gotten over uh, a lot of what's been done here three years later. The governor touted Florida's approach to the pandemic, including keeping schools open and banning mask mandates vaccine mandates, and vaccine passports. He went on to say that there need to be permanent protections against such mandates. And so we have uh, bills in front of the legislature to take some of the things that we've done uh, to protect people's freedoms and jobs and businesses uh, and to make all those protections permanent in Florida law. Uh, we also don't necessarily say it's only about COVID because they're going to find something else sometime in the future uh, to try to use and to try to take advantage of. Meanwhile, the governor is facing increasing pressure from Trump allies over his recent political activities. A political action committee allied with former President Trump is asking the Florida Commission on Ethics to investigate DeSantis. It alleges that DeSantis has been running an illegal shadow campaign for president while skirting Florida's resign-to-run law. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And in California, two people have been arrested and a university building vandalized during a violent protest outside an event hosted by Turning Point USA earlier this week. That's according to UC Davis, as reported by local NBC affiliate KCRA3. One of the speakers at the event, Joe Bob, joins us to share his experience. I spoke with him earlier today. 
Joe Bob, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, you've been opening Charlie Kirk's Live Free Tour and said Tuesday's event had the most violent protests you've seen so far on this tour. Could you describe what you saw? Yeah, so uh, I've been opening up for Charlie on this Live Free Tour for the last couple weeks, and we've seen protests in a couple different places. Chicago was pretty interesting. Uh, Santa Barbara was pretty interesting. But nothing compares to UC Davis. Uh, I, w I happened to be at a big doorway intersection where I thought, you know, these, these violent rioters are outside. I should be fine. It turns out that was a naive thought because the, immediately after that, they started shattering glass. Uh, and pretty quickly, I thought, oh, I probably shouldn't be here anymore. Um, but uh, fortunately, the riot police were able to uh, shore up that entryway and, uh, and and make sure they didn't make entry into the building. Um, but uh, if, the, if the police weren't there and the, the law enforcement weren't there, we, we could have had a huge problem. And in terms of the university stance, UC Davis Chancellor Gary May issued a video to students hours before the event saying that the university is committed to the First Amendment. But in that video, May accused Kirk of advocating for violence against transgender individuals, which Kirk denies, and denounced the event in general. What's your response to that video? Yeah, so the video came out earlier in that morning. I had already landed in Sacramento, and we were, uh, a couple of us at the team were, were eating breakfast and saw that come through. And my first thought was, uh, does this chancellor of this university, who claims to want a peaceful event to take place, does he think that this is going to raise the temperature or lower the temperature? It seemed like a bad PR move in general, and that's before you get to the content of it. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, Gary decided to say, Charlie Kirk has advocated for violence against trans people. Of course, that's not true. Uh, and it's not true so much so that the Sacramento Bee also said that similar thing. Sacramento Bee is a newspaper in the local area. Uh, and then the day after, rescinded their comments and issued an apology because clearly they were making stuff up. And Charlie mm -hmm. Kirk has warned that he thought the original column could have played a prominent role in any violence at his event. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and this, this kind of goes back in echoing the whole idea of... Uh, the stuff that is being put out through the media and even in this case through the university is not helping the situation. If you actually go to one of these turning point events, uh, I, I feel like more people should know this. Not only are you allowed to come inside, this is not a closed event, as long as you register and act orderly, you're allowed to come in regardless of what you think. And if you want to state an opinion that you disagree with Charlie or whoever's up on stage uh, at, the, at these events, we will give you a microphone. You are allowed to have a microphone to talk, and if you disagree fervently, you're allowed to come to the front of the line. Uh, so all of this, uh, to me, seems like a very open and uh, inclusive event, uh, but when media outlets like the Sacramento Bee, uh, who again has issued an apology, and the university says a, a bunch of slanderous stuff, uh, yeah, it's going to embolden people to think that these events are something that they are not. And the protesters did try to stop attendees from entering the venue, but about 500 people still managed to get in. Based on what you've seen, how have attendees responded to the intimidation? You know, I think that there was a time 
Well, there, there was a time where, you know, events, this wasn't a thing. There wasn't, there didn't need to be this massive amount of security. Uh, and then there was a, a period of time where, yes, attendees were deterred. Fortunately, uh, we plan for all of this sort of stuff. And uh, the hope is, and what I'm seeing on this tour, is that people are unfazed at this point. But I think people recognize that the truth is super important and they need to stand up for it. Event attendees are, are saying enough is enough. Um, we're going to go. Uh, and uh, we're going to listen to what we, we want to hear and, and uh, so on and so forth. And finally, Joe Bob, do you have any final thoughts to share with our viewers? Yeah, I, I mentioned that the fact that anybody can come in, whether you really agree with Charlie, Candace, or myself, or you really, really don't agree. You're allowed to come in. The one thing that I want to do, and Charlie agreed, is sit down and have a conversation with any one of them that are standing outside smashing windows and vandalizing their own university. We just want to have a conversation. And unfortunately, uh, it seems to be the people on the other side of the, uh, the vandalism side over there, uh, that's the last thing that they want. So uh, we believe in open dialogue. Uh, we promote open dialogue, especially inside the events. And uh, you know, I, I think that's that should be a trend that the entire country takes, hopefully going forward. Um, but of course, we'll we'll see if that that takes hold. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Joe Bob, TPUSA contributor. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Coming up, Los Angeles honors Kobe Bryant by publicly displaying his imprints on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He was the first athlete to do so. And Wyoming state representatives praise a performance that revives authentic heritage. They say they'll come back to see it again. We have that story after this short break. Los Angeles honored the late basketball player Kobe Bryant by displaying his handprints and footprints on the historic Hollywood Walk of Fame. His coach and family were present to participate in the event. Kobe Bryant's handprints and footprints were unveiled in a permanent display in the forecourt of the TCL Chinese Theater. He became the first athlete to have his hands and feet imprinted in cement at the theater in February 2011. Byron Scott, a former professional basketball coach, said he met Bryant at age 18 during a rookie transitional period in Orlando. Scott was Bryant's advisor at the time. I understood at 18 years old this kid's work ethic, his commitment, his dedication to the game, and I knew at that time that he would achieve greatness. Members of Bryant's family also attended. Being a dad of four girls is definitely not easy, but despite the NBA and Lakers schedules, he always made sure to support me and my sisters, Gianna, Bianca, and Capri. At our recitals, games, tournaments, and any monumental moment you can think of. Being his daughter is one of the greatest joys in my life, and I hope to continue to embody and cherish the many lessons he has taught me. 41-year-old Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna died in a helicopter crash in January 2020. He had a 20-year career with the Lakers before retiring in 2016. And finally, Shen Yun had two performances in Cheyenne this week. 
Representatives from the cowboy state of Wyoming told NTD that Shenyun was uplifting, impressive, and beautiful. Several state representatives welcomed Shen Yun Performing Arts to Wyoming from March 14th to 15th. The officials saw a display of classical Chinese dance with a live orchestra at the Cheyenne Civic Center. Absolutely incredible. I was blown away. Uh, the amount of skill, I was captivated by one piece of music, and then I didn't even realize I was in the middle of a key change. It was absolutely great. I loved it. Just an absolutely beautiful and, and divine, for lack of a better word, performance. The orchestra has been great and how it uh, coordinates with the dance movements. You know, people think it's probably easy to do, but that is so flawless on how those dance rhythms hit exactly with the instrumental notes. And so it has been impressive to, you kind of forget the orchestra's there. Shen Yun's mission is to bring back China's traditional culture. But the Chinese Communist Party has been trying to eradicate China's spiritual heritage and groups of faith such as Falun Dafa an ancient meditation practice that follows the principles of truth, compassion, forbearance. I connect with those values, and I believe that we need to promote those values on an individual basis to help build the character of each and every one of us here in, this, in Wyoming and all across the world. I think it's really powerful and important uh, to connect with your old traditions and to have that some level of religiosity because it ties in with your culture, uh, certainly the Chinese traditions um, that is based on religion and what you're seeing today with present day China and communism, squashing out some of that culture that, um, you know, the ancient traditions um, and dance that the people had. So it is nice that we're trying to revive it and keep it alive even in this day and age. Established in 2006, the New York-based Shen Yun now has eight different companies that tour the world simultaneously. Well, I think, I think it's a performance worth seeing. I think it shows a side of China that maybe we're not accustomed to in, in today's world. And so it shows a, an old China, but a beautiful part of China that I think anyone can benefit from seeing. If Shen Yun comes back to Cheyenne, I will definitely come again and bring more family members and, and really encourage participation to watch this amazing program. I would have to say that this show is incredibly uplifting and it reminds us about our values of freedom and independence as we go forward uh, considering how isolated we've been uh, with COVID-19. This show presents an opportunity for us to come together and enjoy something beautiful. NTD News, Cheyenne, Wyoming. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.